Welcome back to Puck University. I'm Tim Williams. I'm joined once again by the college hockey correspondent himself from InsideHockey.com, as well as some NHL coverage on SportsTalkFlorida.com, Chris Lynch. And this is one of the off-season specials. It's June, and the smoke is starting to clear on playoff hockey season after four and a half months of it. And Chris was basically at most of the four and a half months of playoff hockey season. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the coaching carousel and the bizarre, the strange and shocking changes in college hockey, including, if not especially, the departure of David Quinn from Boston University moving on to the New York Rangers. And just share our general thoughts on college hockey, the NHL, and hockey in general. Chris, thanks for joining me once again. Hey, happy to be on and uh, talking about this sport. When uh, what off season are we uh, are we talking about? There's always things to uh, get into and discuss here. Yeah, one of the busier off seasons I can remember for college hockey and. We're kind of both arriving late because we were covering the NHL throughout most of the playoffs. I mean, it you've made it abundantly clear at a couple points before that uh, playoff hockey really begins at the Beanpot, which is at the start of February and only concludes in June if you count college and, uh, and the pros. And even if you extend that to uh, uh, to the junior leagues there's a whole bunch of madness going on up there as well and the world championships so there's plenty of stuff to keep to keep all of us hockey fans busy by i'll just say that as a recently confirmed tampa media person i'm very disappointed that tampa didn't pull it off uh to make it on because i'd be at vegas today covering the uh covering the stanley cup but oh well that's that's how things go i guess yeah, and it, it it added the um the moment in Game Seven where where you kind of knew the Lightning were going to lose. It just kind of added that um that pain of playoff hockey once again. But without that, it it wouldn't quite be the same. So it was it was a great season. I think I'll start with that. It's a point I kind of mentioned on the podcast a couple of times, and now that you've covered the Lightning for a bit. I want to get your thoughts on this as well, because you saw both of these teams in person. Does the way the Lightning play at all remind you of the way Northeastern played this year? A little bit. Uh, I think the offensive skill uh, for the top-level units very much reminded me. So I think the uh, the grit of the fourth line, uh, I thought that uh, for just their level of competition and for where they were expected to be, I thought Tampa had a better and deeper fourth line and better um, uh, lower level offensive units than Northeastern did. And I think that's part of the reason why they ultimately went further in their respective tournaments. But I think you can absolutely say that, uh, uh, that they play similar styles and I like both their coaches, Cooper and Madigan are, they both have significant non-hockey experience with uh, Cooper's experience as as a lawyer and uh, Madigan's experience as a professor. So there's a bunch of ways in which you can say that they're kind of similar programs in that regard. 
I just thought it was funny and and to a degree, unfortunately, it was especially true when both of those teams lost. They seemed to lose in the same fashion when when they were beaten. They could just be ground down a little bit and slowed down and thrown off their game. So I just I just thought it was funny. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that to get us started. And we're also going to be taking questions throughout the episode. I've gathered a fair amount of audience questions through through the college hockey subreddit on Reddit that that very much helps our podcast keep going. It's it's a fair amount of our audience, and thank you so much for that. So taking a few questions throughout there, and I just kind of wanted to start with my own on that one. So we'll be talking a little bit that that'll give you a part of the flavor of what we're going to be talking about a little bit of the connections between college hockey and the NHL, because it really can't be avoided this off season with a few coaches actually moving up to the NHL, Jim Montgomery, we all saw coming. I don't think a lot of people would have guessed as, as much as a month ago that David Quinn was so close to heading to the NHL. The thing is, uh, he was on a knife's edge, but uh, let's start with Montgomery first moving on from Denver. It's really quite a remarkable run that he had. He took the job in 2013, right when they made the jump into the NCHC after the uh, uh, the dynamics of the conferences, uh, conferences completely changed. He held that job for five years, and for the last three of those – they were a power. They won the national championship in 2017, and I could think of at least four legitimate NHL players who came out of Denver as a as a result of his coaching, headlined by Will Butcher. And that 2017 team that he coached, I think, is the best college hockey team that I've seen and I've gotten to be around. So I think it's a natural transition for him to uh, move on up to the pro ranks. And he found himself a good fit in Dallas with the uh, the offensive potential that he'll get to coach. Yeah, it's going to be going to be a lot of fun seeing him coach the the likes of of Sagan down in Dallas. They they can really skate, so he'll have a lot of fun with that team. And and like I said, we kind of saw at some point soon Jim Montgomery was going to move up to the NHL. It just seemed like teams were already kicking the tires on him as a coach. And with so many openings, it seemed like he was going to go this offseason. So it was kind of expected. I don't know who, how many people would have picked the stars, but congratulations to Jim Montgomery for a great time at Denver and best of luck in the pro ranks. I mean, he deserves it. Uh, had 20 plus wins every single year that he was there. 30 wins his uh, his uh fourth season at Denver with that national championship win and the reigning NCHC champions. And had it not been for a really good offensive showing from Ohio state, they would have moved on to the frozen four and they could have well made a run at winning this year's national championship as well. So you never know how things could shake themselves out, but really good run by them. And I think Denver will be okay. Bringing in, uh, bringing in, in David Carl, a really, really young coach. Uh, he's 28 years old. He's four years older than uh, than me, which is a little bit startling. What am I doing with my life? 
uh, I should be coming. I should become a uh, college hockey coach ultimately. But uh, so Carl will do a good job with uh, with Denver succeeding for Montgomery. I think. Yeah, it could be a pretty clean transition to to Carl and. And with that, with that youth comes the ability for Denver to hang on to him for a while. They are the kind of program where it seems like college hockey is becoming more of a fertile ground for the NHL and coaching is part of that. And Denver might be the kind of program that might struggle to find a coach who isn't looking to the NHL, but with someone who's just 28 years old, they might have a little bit of time in that regard. And that's all, of course, depending that this continues and that this is a trend. But I think it very well might be. Because like I said, the other the other major coaching hire from the NHL from college hockey would be David Quinn, who I, I really didn't see a whole lot of people ex- who expected that until – Suddenly the Rangers interviewed him and suddenly the Rangers really liked him. I think there had been a bit of talk. Uh, Quinn's biggest bit of professional hockey experience was with the Binghamton Rangers. So he does have experience with that organization before. He does have uh, some connection with them in his personal background. So if he was going to go to a team, I completely understand him going uh, going to that team. But for him to make that kind of jump at least for this year it really is really is surprising because he we've talked about it before a bunch of times that we thought of him as in essence a program coach as a guy who was uh gonna stay and hold down the job and really believed in college hockey and he genuinely believes in college hockey but they sweetened the pot the rangers did in order to get him because the Rangers wanted Montgomery as well to come and coach them. And actually, Montgomery took less money to coach Dallas than the Rangers were offering. So I can't help but raise an eyebrow at uh, at the Montgomery decision, knowing that he took less money. But they needed to throw in. They were offering Quinn four years and $12 million from what I saw. And he ultimately ended up taking uh, a fifth year which is a long time for any contract to uh, go on for. And uh, so he took a fifth year with $12.4 million total. So they sweetened the pot for him, and I think they basically just gave him an offer and an opportunity that he didn't think he could live down. Or if he uh, had any regrets about it, he didn't want to pass up the opportunity to see if he could make it at the NHL. It's not a terrible idea, and in fact, there's something really interesting about it, and it's because of the recruits that David Quinn got at Boston University and the amount of guys who just didn't stay very long with the program that he had come in and out of the Terriers program. It makes me wonder if he can, you know, that is, of course, a contract signed by James Dolan. So we'll see about the five years. But if he can make it to year three, year four, with a team that's not going to have a lot of turnover, that's looking to build for a long term, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of team he coaches with a little bit of longevity in his players. 
the kind of thing a lot of BU fans wanted to see. I know you talked about it before on the podcast, getting a few players in that might stay longer than a year or two. And in the NHL, they're going to have that salary cap be damned. It is the New York Rangers. They're going to keep some players in place. And they're, again, they're going young anyway. So these are going to be players that stick around. So if they can stick with Quinn, I'm going to be really fascinated to see what they're like in year three and year four. I think that he will stay around for the full term because you got to keep in mind that, uh, yeah, it's a contract signed by Dolan, but he barely has any uh, actual, if you will, impact on the team. You know, he just doesn't really do that much, if that makes sense. He's just kind of in the background, and yeah, that that's kind of it for him. So uh, it, it isn't like his dealing with owning the New York Knicks, at which point it's an entirely different kind of beast because uh, he really has a big impact on uh, on that unit. So Dolan doesn't really. I I think that you can be uh, a lay your fears a little bit for uh, uh, for that next deal for uh, for for Quinn staying around for a while. But it's a really interesting team just that that he gets to coach because I won't say that it's a complete rebuild. It's more of a retool because Shattenkirk and uh, and uh, oh my God, King Henrik, uh, I've almost forgot Lundquist's name. I feel like I feel dumb. Uh, Lundquist are still around and are still good enough to be the anchors for a very competitive team. A deep run in the playoffs, who knows? It's it's hockey and weird things can happen. But I think Quinn is a good enough coach that he can get something out of them at least in the short term. And whether or not they extend him or keep him for the full term is. Uh, depends on his first year and my big question for him how's he gonna do handling the new york media because that is a different kind of beast entirely yeah that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch um quinn and the new york media is going to be something i have an idea now that now that he's moved on to the nhl of where i envision him ending up someday and i think it's the perfect job for him and he'll be really successful i think he's going to be a general manager of an nhl team at some point because and this is not to belabor a point that might be a little overplayed i i hear a little too much of he's just a recruiter he's not he hasn't succeeded that much with the teams he's had relative to their talent if you look at what BU did in the second half of this last season. There is something there in David Quinn's coaching, but I think he is really good with personnel. He's very good with building a hockey team. And I think that's why eventually he's going to be a general manager in the NHL. I think he might be a pretty successful coach, but if he gets to the GM level, he could be a really successful GM. I certainly see that. I certainly see him being an outstanding uh, uh, GM prospect. And I've heard that argument way too much about, uh, about Quinn only being a recruiter. I think those people didn't actually watch BU for the last couple of years while Quinn has been holding down the job and has been reinstating the Terriers as one of the staple programs of college hockey. So 
he's not just a uh, he's not just recruiting big time talent and then just coasting on it. Clayton Keller got to be a better player in his time there. So did Eichel. So did Greenway. So did McAvoy. So did Doyle Summerby. So did Matt Grizzlick, who, yeah, Grizzlick was recruited and ultimately started his career under Parker, but he is really a Quinn player. He spent three of his four college years under Coach Quinn and both of his captain years under Quinn. So the notion that he doesn't develop players is, I think, wildly inaccurate. And the fact that he didn't, quote, didn't succeed according to his team. Yeah, college hockey is better than it's ever been. And I don't think you can pin all of uh, the missteps on Quinn. He did absolutely everything that he possibly could have to put his team in a good position to succeed. I think you touched on one of the reasons that Quinn is sometimes treated a little unfairly. There, There are two in my mind. One is that he had impossible shoes to fill. He's following up for Jack Parker. That's an act you can't follow. So in retrospect, in a, in hindsight, he's not going to look as good as maybe he could have. However, that spills into the point you made, which is college hockey is better than it's ever been. There is a sort of parody in college hockey that never existed before and that Jack Parker was very much a beneficiary of having not existed before when he was a coach. He coached one of the Blue Bloods in a time when it was really only the Blue Bloods. So he had a lot more success, but he also didn't have the competition David Quinn had. And again, he's this legendary coach that Quinn was following up. So I think that kind of hit the perception of David Quinn's time at BU can sometimes be tainted by both of those things. Agreed. And also, I saw one person saying he was uh, he won one bean pot, which means he was the best of four teams one time in his uh, in his career. Without providing the context that those other programs are producing high caliber NHL players, it's not like any one of those bean pots that he lost because he was. His teams were in the Beanpot Championship game every year since 2015. Haven't won it since 2015. But it's not like they were losing to scrub teams. BC produces talent regularly. Harvard went to the Frozen Four and produced NHLers in uh, Alex Kerfoot and Ryan Donato. And Northeastern this past year has three bona fide professional players and has produced other pro-level players since. So... I just find that argument lacks complete context for the sport and really lacks a respect for a bunch of other programs that completely deserve it. So I think Quinn will be good, but I would just say, Ranger fans, chill. You're getting a very good coach who uh, is a, uh, a flamboyant enough personality that he's entertaining and likable to the media and just down to earth enough that the players will love him. And really, the players are going to love playing for David Quinn. He'll push them, but they got him. They got a good coach there. I'm just very sad as a BU fan to watch him leave. And that that spills into exactly what I was going to ask: is now we have to look at this from the college hockey perspective, where I think it's even more surprising that David Quinn left BU than that he went to the Rangers. So where does BU go from here? And how shocking was it really? Because you're much closer to that program than I am. Honestly, it was a real, real big surprise. 
I was uh, I really was incredibly disappointed that he left because Quinn's one of those personalities that you do gravitate to that even non BU people love him. So uh, he is he's a remarkable personality, and it really is a shame that he is moving on. But you know that's what you've got, and uh, it's not like they're lacking any real opportunities to hire people. Uh, they. They have a lot of – BU, the head coach at BU is one of those jobs that you want. But realistically, it's one of those jobs that I think you're only going to get if you're a BU person. They like to keep things in-house, and they like to keep things uh, in the family. So the one person who I want to get this job desperately is Albie O'Connell, the current associate head coach, who was 42 years old has had other jobs with Harvard, Northeastern, Merrimack, Holy Cross, Niagara, and Colby. But he's had, uh, he's had a bunch of uh, – he's had a big impact with BU and has been one of the reasons why they've had so much success. So Albie O'Connell, above and beyond all else, I desperately want him to get that job. And he would be one of the candidates, and I, I think it's hard not to – I think it's hard to picture – BU hiring a coach that didn't work with BU in the past that doesn't have that Jack Parker seal of approval because he's still around. He's just retired. So he'll, he'll be part of this decision-making process one way or another, not that he'd be controlling it, but that it's going to be someone who played under Parker or coached early with him and coached with David Quinn they're going to try and keep this program going, but I do think it gives them an opportunity to change to a style of program that you talked about it a few times on this podcast that BU needs to have more of a continuity between seasons. And I think they realize that. And I think as much as they were surprised to see David Quinn go and sad to see him leave that this gives them an opportunity to maybe tweak the way they build their team to make sure that there's some continuity between seasons. I mean, I think just player wise, there is going to be some, some real continuity. They just announced their captains and their, their alternate captains. Ottinger is back. So if your starting goaltender comes back from one season to the next, that is a major benefit that the Terriers have had the last couple of years where they get A-list goaltenders that continue to uh, come back and continue to develop. So he'll be he'll be a he'll be an A and he'll uh, he'll be a natural fit as one of the leaders on that team. But Will Carpenter is back for another year. Dante Fabro, who I think is going to be an NA, a real NHL defenseman, he's back for another year. You know there there are pieces coming back just on the player side. I think that uh, you still have a team that can compete for bean pots and can compete for hockey East titles. So I think you benefit really from having someone who's been day to day with uh, with that staff. So I so I'd bring on O'Connell. They a couple other uh, candidates who you're going to hear about. Joe Sacco is going to be one guy who's brought up. Steve Greeley, who's the assist current. Uh, Assistant GM with the Buffalo Sabers. He's been a big piece of the uh, of uh, recruiting. He actually helped recruit players like Charlie McAvoy and Clayton Keller and Jake Wise, who 
hasn't gotten to BU yet, and he's he's getting there pretty soon. So I could see him getting that job as well. But I really want O'Connell to get the job. He's a similar position uh, as Mike Cavanaugh was before he got the UConn job. A longtime assistant coach who never looked like he would get his chance to be a head man until uh, a job opened up in a place that's a little bit surprising. So they're so they're blessed for choices, but I'd imagine they'd move pretty quickly because this came later than most of the other college hockey openings. They're they're the last team to suddenly need a new coach, and they didn't seem to see it coming. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone did. I think it took the Rangers really sweetening that pot in order to get him, in order to get Quinn away. So they're not going to take that long with it. I give it at most, at really at most, another week before they announce their decision. Uh, they'll have uh, they'll have a new person coming in. I think within the next week or so would be my guess. But I'm just spitballing as to when I think that timing would be because. I think they're the only one of the programs who hasn't already announced their uh, their new successor because everybody already has uh, filled in for their remaining uh, their remaining head head coaching hires and a lot have filled in their assistant hirings. And that brings us to one of our audience questions. What programs will be most affected by their coaching loss and which ones will be least affected? And I, I think we've already touched on the two that I would say would be least affected. BU, I would say, is going to be the least affected because Jake Ottinger is going to be in net. And I think we might have forgotten how good he really is this season with other goalies that have emerged. But he could end up carrying a team farther than you know your average goalie he could end up being the best goalie in the country pretty easily so i think bu is going to be the least affected but chris your thoughts i agree with that uh, i think well the other big programs that had coaching changes um alaska anchorage had a change and brought in matt curley i think he'll have a big impact on that program merrimack bringing in scott borek i think is going to be a not small thing Montgomery leaving Denver is, I think, a significant loss. I think they'll take a step back and be a 500 hockey team. I don't. Th I think that they're going to run into some major uh, competition in the NCHC because it's it's the best conference right now. Duluth is going to be even better next year, and they won the national championship this year. Um, St. Cloud's going to continue to be strong. I think Carl. I think uh, Carl will take a moment to adjust. So I think uh, I think BU is going to be the least affected just because they do have enough player continuity to support the new coach coming in. Yeah, I did. I'd agree with that. And I think that that Alaska Anchorage might be the one most affected because they have the farthest to go. They they simply almost have nowhere to go but up. So I, I think a new coach could impact that program in a big way they have a lot of issues that are just inherent to being alaska but they they can get something out of a new coach and something would be quite a change for the alaska programs these days and one they sorely need agreed curly's a good hire because he's been a lot of different places he was 
an assistant coach with Bentley when they had a winning record for his time at Bentley. He just came in from the EC Red Bulls, which is a uh, team based uh, based out of Salzburg, Austria, and uh, he's he's had a very good job in uh, coaching with them. He's been with the USHL. He's been with the U.S. development team, and I think he can bring in and develop enough enough uh, Alaska talent that they could be competitive in the WCHA. And I really hope that that uh, the Sea Wolves can develop and can improve under uh, under his guidance. Because I'd love to see a competitive Alaska program. It makes uh, it makes the competitive balance of uh, college hockey even more entertaining if you get schools from places like Alaska that it just makes the uh it just makes the sport a lot more entertaining and by the way one of their assistant coaches that uh they just hired Mark Phelan who was the director of hockey operations at Northeastern for 6 years so one of your guys is uh is ta- is uh, uh going to be an assistant on the uh staff with the Seawolves well, that's very interesting. So that best of luck to him and best of luck to to the entire program that yeah, I, I think I think everybody's with you. These these Alaska programs are somewhat important to college hockey and it'd be nice to see at least one of them start thriving a bit. There's there are always going to be issues with travel, with people just not wanting to move to Alaska, but they can get more than they've they've had in recent years and and they can get back to a much stronger program with just a little bit of work so so the best of luck to them out there and I'll throw in a question of my own here because it's just a good talking point to build off of so now you have a fair amount of college hockey coaches who have gone to the NHL the Philadelphia Flyers have Dave Haxtell and now Montgomery and Quinn have moved into the NHL. Do you think that this is the beginning of a trend? Do you think that NHL teams will start looking at least and including candidates among the college ranks when they're looking for their next coaches? I think they will. I mean, I, that trend has already started, but they're going to have to start winning in a big way in order to make that a real possibility. And simply put, Hackstall is a good coach with the uh, uh, with the Flyers, he's not really led them anywhere that significant, and there are a there's a big big contingent of Philly fans, especially after this most recent playoff series, who would be fine with seeing him out the door. So, if Quinn and Montgomery have real big success in New York and Dallas, respectively, then I think it's certainly possible that they'll be a, that college coaches will be a much bigger. A reservoir for potential coaching talent, but they've got to win, and they've got to win in a big way. And you're seeing more college hockey players be a significant factor because Boston really won throughout big parts of the regular season, won a playoff series in large part because of their talent coming in from college hockey, notably McAvoy and Grizzly from BU. So you've got to win in the NHL, and I don't think Hackstall has won quite enough to uh, at least inspire confidence. Uh, so I think Quinn and, uh, and Montgomery will have to do their job to make it a bigger pool. Yeah, I, I could see that. And I also, I just wonder that, you know, 
who knows what the hiring process is like, of course, as well. But it just makes me wonder with the with the Quinn hiring, what other college coaches could make it in the NHL? And I think there are a lot of them because they're, as we've discussed before, there are a fair amount of really good hockey coaches in college hockey right now. And maybe more than ever, they're in tune with player development and helping the best players on their team get to that next level. So I think there are other guys that if this continues on, if there is some success with these hires and other teams start to emulate it, because all pro sports leagues are copycat leagues after all, that there are plenty of other college hockey coaches that I could see teams kicking the tires on. Brad Berry comes to mind at North Dakota. Yeah, I mean, the big-time blue blood programs are going to be a little bit more uh, likely to produce pro coaches at this point because Haxtell was the first one to make the uh, the transition, and he was the predecessor to Barry at North Dakota. Uh, Scott Sandlin, I think, at Minnesota Duluth, I think, would make for a very interesting hire. I mean, uh, I wonder if Frank Serratori could succeed there. I don't think he would really want to, but could you imagine – an NHL press conference that involved Frank Serratori in any respect, I would pay money to watch that, and I would be entertained by every single second of it. Yeah, that that would be great. That is a wonderful thought. I also thought, you know, I I don't know of a lot of coaches besides maybe Serratori that have done less or done more with less than Norm Bazin, who I don't know. I it, it's hard to imagine an NHL team playing the style of hockey that we've seen at UMass Lowell, but at the same time, he's always got the most out of his team. There's another guy that I, you know, if there were a run on college hockey coaches, which as you mentioned, that's a couple of steps away. These new guys have to win and have to show that there's something to this. And then suddenly, like I said, it becomes a copycat league, but there's a person that I would like to see him coach any team. I like watching him coach UMass Lowell. I'd like to watch him coach basically anyone. By the way, there was a uh, – speaking of Bazin, by the way, we almost saw Bazin leave Lowell to go coach Denver. Or at least there was, uh, there was uh, some real significant interest between them, and there was some discussions about him bolting, which I think would ultimately be a very bad thing for uh, – for them, but uh, because he is, without any kind of hesitation, the best coach that uh, they've ever had, and I think the best coach that uh, uh, Jeff Cox actually had that story for a little bit that uh, that they that uh, Bazin almost made the jump, but Bazin would be an interesting hire uh, if he were to move over to the pros. I think there are some coaches who are safe. I think Jerry York is going to stay at BC forever until he retires. I think Kavanaugh will stay at UConn for uh, for a while longer. I think Rico Blasi is going to stay at Miami. So there are some guys who are legitimate program guys. Um, I really do think Bazin is going to stay over at, uh, at Lowell for a while longer. But just an interesting note that we did almost have some movement from Lowell to Denver for Bazin. And that that was surprising. Thank you for bringing that up. I I was in disbelief that it came as close as it was reported to have come, because I think of UMass Lowell 
as his program. Not so much that he's the best coach they've ever had, so much as he is the program. Every one of their great moments has involved Bazin in some way. So I, it would be surprising to see him go anywhere. And But I, I was just making the point, moreover, that he's done so well with the teams he's had that I would watch him coach the Olympics. I'd watch him coach Canadian juniors. I'd watch him coach the NHL. I think he'd succeed on any level. And I think the same is true of some other coaches in college hockey. You mentioned Frank Serratore at, at Air Force that's done such a great job and always is a thorn in someone's side come tournament time, it seems like. So there, there are lots of coaches, but we're still a ways off. It's just fun to think about because it does seem like there are more players every year. There's more talk about coaches jumping to the NHL, and it's just a sign that college hockey's getting that much better every year. Oh, it's a great sign that uh, that there is such a uh, uh, that there is uh, such a possibility for these uh, for real high caliber coaches. It's a lot of fun to get to take a look at all this stuff, and it's I think it's a good thing for for not only UMass Lowell, but for, uh, for Hockey East and really for the sport that, uh, that he ultimately didn't go to Denver because you need more competitive programs and Bazin, in essence, makes Lowell a competitive program, if nothing by then just his crafty recruiting. I mean, he's one of the big reasons that Connor Hellebuck ended up uh, going to Lowell and having as much success there as he did. So... Good thing on Lowell that uh, that transition didn't happen, but uh, makes me curious as to where the uh, where the new hires ultimately end up going. Because now you got to start wondering uh, how how they affect the recruiting game even more than uh, than they already have. Which I'm gonna have to uh, leave aside for a bit until they actually get a body of work in now. Well, and recruiting's just getting more interesting by the year because there are that many more things to consider every year. There's, like we've pointed out before, there's more NHL talent coming through college hockey. So there are certain programs that just have to think, well, do we want to just become a factory for NHL players and try and win that way? And you've seen... Well, that was that was very much what David Quinn was doing at BU, it seemed like at times. And they were always fielding a very competitive team that came, you know, you can say what you want, but they came a few bounces from winning national championships. So that's that's a team that was always pretty good in that regard. But you can also think about continuity. And now continuity is becoming a question on both ends because if wait, if Norm Bazin's looking to possibly take a, another job, if he thinks there are better jobs out there, how many program coaches really are left? Because we like to say these guys will stay forever, but maybe that's more a thing of the past than we think. And maybe, maybe Jerry York ends up being one of the last of a dying breed. We hope not, but that's starting to become a question. And if that's going to become a question for us, it's going to become a question for recruits soon enough. Certainly possible. I mean, York and Madigan are program coaches at uh, at at BC and Northeastern. I don't think there's much of an argument there. Uh, I, their names are just so completely woven in. So I think that uh, those two 
it might be the last ones. I think you're always gonna have. Uh, I think you're always gonna have some coaches who stick around uh, at places a lot longer than others would. But I think the recruiting game does get a bit more interesting if you're looking for that continuity. But there are a lot of programs that are gonna start looking for the young coaches so that uh, they can almost appeal more to the uh, uh, to the younger sensibilities of the players that. Uh, that are coming through now so it's a real interesting puzzle and it's an interesting quandary for uh for any college hockey team because you get you go with a montgomery or i guess now you go with a quinn and you get a five-year window of you're going to be really competitive and then afterwards you don't know exactly what you're getting after that which that's a real question to consider moving forward which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for college hockey to be losing those kind of program coaches if we're going to have that level of competition. Because the coaches who could move on to the NHL, they're going to give you great coaching and they're going to give you great, great teams and great players. Well, and now that I think about it for a second, we might want to just slow down a little bit because there are going to be coaches that might go to the NHL in the future. But if you look at the biggest money college sport college football and you look at its tightly woven relationship with the nfl whether they want to admit it or not they're the nfl's minor league there still aren't that many coaches that have successfully transitioned from one side of that football to the other where they've been able to go from being a successful college coach to being a successful pro coach and there really aren't as many instances of it as we like to imagine. It's something we talk about all the time, but a lot of these guys just never leave the college ranks. They have good jobs. They're happy doing it the way that you do it with as a college coach, that it's a different job in the pros. It's a different set of responsibilities and a different set of things to worry about. Longer seasons, more road trips. A lot of these people are very invested in their families they don't want to leave for 42 days plus playoffs so it, there are a lot of factors behind it this might just be something on the periphery for a long time where the best coaches might just have their just have a team kick the tires on them bring them in for an interview while they're looking at other coaches but it is remarkable to see that growing connection and to see how far college hockey's come in not that long a time because it wasn't that long ago that this was an unheard of idea that an NHL team would have to almost be desperate to hire a college coach. I mean, yeah, Hackstall is the first one to make that kind of transition. And even still with him, uh, you're a bit away from having, uh, from having uh, any sort of desperation to get most most college coaches quinn and montgomery are the exceptions but they've always had the i think ability to reach pro players and they've had experience in uh, coaching and playing in in that kind of pro level college football has a unique relationship with uh with college uh, with professional football because there is no minor football league there's college football and there's kind of nothing else after that even if you succeed well in uh, in college hockey, there's still the uh, string of the minors that uh, exist in really in hockey and 
baseball that don't exist in the same way for football and basketball. So college basketball and college football just have a much different relationship ultimately with uh, their professional equivalents than uh, then because they started those sports started as profession as college sports football and basketball hockey started as a junior sport and a professional sport before uh, american colleges became a thing so it's just kind of an interesting relationship that uh, the college hockey game has with uh, with its pro equivalents that doesn't exist anywhere else you're you're absolutely right and and it also just it 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 puts a little bit of water on the idea of every good coach being, being possibly scouted by the pros. It's just another place of many that NHL teams will look for, for coaching talent the same way it's another place of many that they look for actual playing talent, which they're finding more and more in the college ranks. So in that respect, it's possible, but it's more just fun to play around with because well, it's the it's June, and we're talking about college hockey, so you have to do something like that. But moving on to starting to look a little more to the future, but staying with coaches just to make for a better transition. This is another one of our audience questions. Who has the most approved next season, and which coaches might be on the hot seat? Uh, are we... Uh, are we just considering the new coaches? Are we considering uh, the guys who've had the job for a while? Or, well, I, I would say that who who has the most approved would be the programs themselves, and the oh. it, it's kind of two questions: which, which programs have the most approved next season, and which coaches do you think might be on the hot seat? Got you. So, uh, thinking Eastern wise, the program that comes to mind immediately is the University of New Hampshire. Because there were uh, real hopes, especially with how the Wildcats played early, that they were going to give Dick Umilly a great send-off. And they ended up finishing off this season, regular season, in last place in Hockey East and being one of the most disappointing teams in the conference. So I think the Wildcats have a ton to prove under Mike Souza for his first year. And Souza set the expectations really high for his program because he's a player from the most successful window of the history of New Hampshire hockey, and he has the goal of putting New Hampshire back in the Frozen Four in his coaching tenure. So if I'm picking any program, I'm picking them. That wouldn't be a bad choice. I think they'd, they'd make a, a great candidate for who has the most to prove. And... Um, I'd say also St. Cloud State has a fair amount just because you know they're they they have to they have to get by with with a new program. So after as great as they've been, they kind of have to show that they can continue moving forward. Yeah, St. Cloud I think has got an interesting situation as well because they I really think they're a better team than Air Force uh, was. They were a better team than most that moved on by, and they still couldn't make do, even with Motsko doing his work. And it was such a fast transition for Motsko leaving, uh, leaving St. Cloud to move over to the University of Minnesota. So I think Larson does have a bit to prove um, in in his new job as the head coach there. So. 
I'd also consider Harvard if they can make the transition out of having Donato and if they can prove that they're more than just a one-player team from last season. Yeah, that's a that's a fair amount to prove. I think I think you can by the same token throw Northeastern in there that they're more than a one-line team if they can be competitive even after Godet and that great line around him leaves then they have more of a program than people think. So I think by the same token as Harvard, you can throw Northeastern in there as having a fair amount to prove, although they're also coming off of kind of maybe their best team ever, maybe not their most successful team ever, but I think top to bottom, you'd have to say that was the best Northeastern team they've ever put together. So they might be a little less than Harvard. They don't have quite the traditions, but I think the same is true there. But I, I'd still stick with St. Cloud State. And as far as the other part of the question, coaches on the hot seat, that's really difficult to to parse out because I, I can't think of a whole lot of coaches that – I can think of a few that might have been that aren't coaching anymore. I think that if Dick Umilly had not retired, we'd be asking questions given the second half of New Hampshire's season. That's a fair point. I don't like I I've uh, I like Dickie Millie personally, and I'm not a big fan of asking those kind of questions of someone who's been so great for so long. But you kind of would have to if he hadn't have retired. I think you could still ask them of Souza fairly. Um, I would I would uh, offer Providence as uh, as being a program that's got a bit to uh, that's got a bit to uh, to answer. Especially since uh, I think they've just got an, a, a fair bit of talent there, and I think that they've they've lacked a lot of tournament success ever since their run to the champion national title in 2015. But I think there's plenty to for uh, Nate Lehman to face down for pressure wise this upcoming year. You know. Before we move on, since you mentioned Lehman and you mentioned Providence, it's amazing to think how much one game can affect how we view a coach and how we view a program. Because the conversation around Providence is so much different because of the 2015 National Championship, and it's so much different around BU because of the way that game played out even though when you watch that game, it came down to, you know, about more or less the flip of a coin. And here these two coaches have these wildly different perceptions to a lot of people and all based off of one game that you have to think if that game had turned out differently and it easily could have, would we think differently about these two coaches? And is that right? I think we'd be undisputably regarding Quinn as a champion and as one of the best coaches in the sport. If uh, that game would have gone differently for BU, I think we'd be looking at Lehman as a good coach, considering both his time at Providence and his time at Union. He won a won a Penrose while he was at Union College and helped to turn them into a really successful program. So I just... I've heard a lot of uh, people promoting Providence as being a team that has the talent to make big runs in the tournament. 
and I'll be I'll just be honest I've not really seen it they had a run to the hockey's championship last year which was a good run for them but I honestly thought that they got fortunate behind Hayden Hockey playing a great game against Northeastern and you can't lean on your goaltender to do everything when they had in in their biggest tournament games their offense wasn't really there. So I think that uh, the Providence forward core and Lehman getting something out of their offense, they've got some pressure on. But yeah, it, perception is an incredible thing. I don't think we're enjoying talking about the hot seat, so I'll kind of flip that question on its head and ask, what assistant coaches would you like to see end up in a head coaching job soon across the country and you know quite a few uh, of them you've already mentioned albie o'connell at, at bu who for all we know might end up in the head coaching ranks very soon he's one of the candidates at boston university but beyond that who else would you look toward as someone who you'd really like to see what they could do with their own program paul pearl paul pearl is is one of the assistant coaches at harvard he's one of a lot of people peg him. I think a lot of people kind of unfairly peg him as uh, making Coach Ted Donato look a lot better than uh, he would otherwise. I don't think that's a fair analysis. I do think that Pearl has had a big impact in uh, how the Crimson have succeeded. So I would love to see what he could do. He almost did end up getting the Merrimack job before it went to Scott Borek. So... I could absolutely see him and uh, Joe Pereira, currently at UConn, uh, who's really had some good successes with the Huskies. So those are the two guys above and beyond anyone else who I'd love to see get uh, get opportunities. Yeah, those are those are a couple of great coaches, and and they've been through it for quite a while. So they've they've really earned their stripes. And another one that I would throw in there is Jerry Keefe at Northeastern. You'll notice their special teams are always excellent. And he's their associate coach in, in charge of special teams. So he is he is a big part of what makes that program run. And I would like to see him get his shot at some point. Although, you know, I'm also happy to see him sticking at Northeastern because it means they're going to have a good power play and a good penalty kill once again, and a lot of shorthanded goals once again. So uh, I like that in that aspect, but I think he's also deserved, you know, he's earned his way into some interviews and he did get some interviews this year as part of, he was a candidate that was on the periphery for a lot of these schools. So that's another one who, maybe next season when you see some coaching openings might get some some traction as well. I could certainly see that. You know the uh the assistants that the assistant staff that I'm interested to see what they could do for this next for this next coming year. Ben Parr who's one of the assistants at UMass Amherst and frankly I'm just unbelievably excited to see what the uh, Minutemen are going to do with their program this year. I really think that we'll end up seeing the Minutemen back at the Garden this year. Just uh, just as a, I want Ben Parr to do well, and I want the Minutemen to really do well. I, I think that's a good transition into our next question, which is 
which bottom half teams or which I, I, I don't know what I would necessarily call a bottom half team, but I'll, I'll stick with that phrasing, which bottom half teams are, are poised to surprise the rest of the pack. And I UMass think Amherst. <laughs> yeah. UMass Amherst will be at TD garden this year. I would not be shocked to see UMass Amherst playing for the hockey East championship this year. Dead serious. I, Got to watch them while they were uh, uh, in their playoff series hosting the Vermont Catamounts. And my God, John Leonard and Kel McCarr are studs. Mario Ferraro is outstanding. That that freshman class that they had last year, that'll be sophomores this year. Oh my God, that's just outstanding what, uh, what they've got. The only question that they have is goaltending, but that's mostly because Murray was injured. I think Matt Murray... Not to confuse him with the Pittsburgh version. Uh, I really, really like what uh, the Minutemen have going. And I think Greg Carvel should win the conference's Coach of the Year award next year. So I'm all on the Minutemen train this year. All, all aboard their hype train. I I get the feeling almost anyone could win Hockey East this year. That's going to be – last year I talked about it being a deeper conference than people might think in the standings. I think this year that's really going to come out. You're going to see a lot of teams come into their own, and Amherst is one of those teams, I think, that could really make a big splash, do some damage. I think Boston University will be as dangerous as ever because, like I said, I don't think we've seen the best of Jake Ottinger, and that's a scary thing. So I think they'll be around. I think almost any team in that conference, you could make the case that if this player does really well and the goalie does really well and this part of the system keeps going, that team could win Hockey East. I think you could say that for at least eight teams in that conference. So it's going to be a lot of fun this year. And another, um, I, I guess you'd call them a bottom half team that could end up surprising and I'd, I'd go out west for this one. Colorado College, they were already a little tough this last year, but I think that the NCHC might open up a bit and become more of a more of a battle of attrition. And I think that Colorado College could surprise a whole lot of teams in this coming season. So that's another one I'd look out for. I could certainly see that. Uh, Haviland got an extension this past year and it took falling to denver last year in order for them to just run out of steam so i could certainly see colorado college uh going on a run i think there will be a little bit of a transition i think st cloud and denver are going to take a step backwards north dakota is going to be as competitive as always uh alex leclerc i think will be a very good uh goaltender to lead the way for the for the tigers this year for one of the ancient powers in the sport because Colorado college has two of the early national championships that, uh, that were ever contested. So I could definitely see them, but I'll give you one more Eastern team that I could really see, uh, making some noise this year. Dartmouth. They gave Harvard quite a scare before, uh, Donato's talent just outshined and overwhelmed and getting to watch that big green team, compete and really hang with Minnesota Duluth in the Ledyard Bank Classic this past year and watching them win in Denver against the reigning national champs. That is a good program, and that is a group with uh, Brendan Delmer and Matt Baker and 
Will Graber and uh, Kevin Killestoff. Under Bob Goddett's leadership, I really like what Dartmouth has going up in up in Hanover. Yeah, that's a good one. They were they were the surprise team in a lot of ways last year. They might not have ended up with a great final record, but they they gave a lot of really good teams a run for their money and beat some teams that you wouldn't have expected them to beat. So they could do something next year as well. And I guess kind of building off that question, we have another, who are your dark horse national tournament teams? So top 16. So, well, I, I guess we could phrase that another way. You think UMass Amherst is going to make the TD Garden. Could they make the regionals? Absolutely. That talent is scary. Seriously, watch Cal McCarr. He is the best pure skater that I've watched in college hockey. I genuinely believe better than Jack Eichel just as a skater from the def- from from the blue line in. Kale McCarr is terrifying and he's a sophomore. Uh, and he just and he scared people as a freshman. He's going to terrify people as a sophomore this year. I really think UMass Amherst is going to uh can make the uh make the NCAA tournament. So, I'll put them on. I'll give uh I'll give Northern Michigan a nod to uh, reach the NCAAs this uh, next year out of the WCHA after they fell just barely short of reaching the tournament this year as well. Yeah, that's that's another one. There are a lot of teams in the WCHA that could make the tournament next year, either by winning their conference or by getting an at-large bid, provided there is a bubble and it doesn't get popped on the last couple of days like it did this past season, where it just seemed like everything went wrong for teams expecting an at-large bid, and all of them were left wanting at the end of the season. That's not going to happen every year. Yeah, this was a very strange year when unexpectedly Princeton and BU just came out of nowhere and won their won their conferences. I it's a really unusual uh uh set of circumstances that happened this year, but I'll give Northern Michigan a nod for next year that I think that they'll uh improve that I think that they'll make a run at it. I would not be surprised to see Michigan Tech not only be back in the tournament next year, I wouldn't be shocked to see them win a game and reach the regional final round. I wouldn't be shocked to see Michigan Tech in the Frozen Four. I love what the uh, what the Huskies have going for them up in uh, up up on the UP. So I'd love to see Michigan Tech really put a scare in, and they did put a big scare into Notre Dame this year and almost won that game against Notre Dame. So I'd love to see what they could do moving forward. Do you expect any rule changes in college hockey for next season? And are there any you might want? Uh, I can't think of any particular ones. I'm sure if I poured over the rule book a lot more that I could find a few. But I would just like the sport of hockey at large to figure out what in the world goaltender interference is. But uh, there isn't anything... Uh, anything specific or anything in particular that uh, I'd want to see changed in the immediate. Yeah, I I think I'd agree with you on that. I also, I, I need to express my distaste for the idea of matching minors. 
matching minors are just a ref's way of admitting they didn't really see it until it was too late. It seems like it, I, I just don't like when, when they award matching penalties, it just doesn't seem to ever work. I get it for fighting and that's about it. So I, I just don't like the idea of matching minors hockey East in particular. I always think of that conference when I see matching minors awarded, I don't care if it's the NHL, I don't care if it's the Stanley cup finals. I still think, Hey, it's hockey East refs. They've come back and awarded teams matching penalties for no good reason. So I'm always against that. I guess that would be part of this. I'd also like a uniform set of overtime rules so we don't have to constantly remember which conferences have shootouts and which conferences don't and which conferences have tie games and which conferences don't. Mm -hmm. I could see that being a bit of a nuisance. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit more accepting of it, and I don't see it as being a this needs to change today. Uh, I guess I could uh, support it getting cleaned up a little bit more, but I'm not about to uh, really force it to change any in the immediate future. Maybe some kind of NCAA rule forbidding a team from Alabama and two teams from Alaska being in the same conference. That that we we would like someone to start working on that as soon as possible. That that is one change. I don't know if that's a rule change or what, but I would like someone to get on that as soon as humanly possible. That's conference realignment. That's more teams getting into the support. I think we've already done two or three episodes of this podcast on that specific topic. And don't worry, I'm completely down with railing against the conference alignment of the WCHA. I love the teams in that conference, but that setup is unbelievably stupid and needs to change. So uh, I'm with you on that bit, but uh, that's not really a rule change as much as, much as it's just terrible alignment. And as we look forward to next season a little bit, I guess the last question I have here, is it last? Yeah, that's the last question I have here. And it's, who do you think has a chance at the Hobie Baker next year? And I'll expand that to basically any award that pops into your head. Oh boy. Uh, I guess I'll stay on my, uh, on my hype train for UMass Amherst and go with Cal McCarr. He's the best skater I've watched in college hockey. Better than Eichel, um, who I regard as the best player that I've gotten to watch in the sport. I, I think I think Paul Correa is the best player to ever come out of college hockey. All things considered, who's a skater? Ken Dryden is the best goaltender to ever come out of the sport. But um, I'll stay on my UMass Amherst hype train, and uh, and uh, think I really do think that Makar is going to turn some heads on Amherst's blue line this year. I'm looking at some stats from last year while I talk about this. So I'm kind of stalling for time by mentioning, I think that a strong Richter award candidate next year, and I've already mentioned it twice is Jake Ottinger at Boston university, who, if you'll remember was so good in his freshman year that he was picked extremely high in the ensuing NHL draft and became one of the top prospects. So just don't forget how talented that guy is. I think he could 
end up carrying a team for a bit. I think he'll be a Richter Award candidate next year. And as far as someone that could could win the Hobie Baker Award, well, if he's I I don't have any I don't have any news on whether he's chosen to for some reason go pro, but a lot of what got Princeton as far as they got last year, and they were they were a head turner of a team was Max Verano, who was one of the top scoring players in the country. If he comes back, I would say he'd be among the candidates. I could see him. I could absolutely see him. Uh... Uh, being a big part of it, Ryan Kuffner as well, I think would be uh, a good con- a good consideration for Princeton. Uh, I think Keith Petrozelli could be an interesting candidate if he could get some stability in the Quinnipiac net. But really, if we're going to think about uh, Richter candidates, Cal Morris coming back for uh, for another year at Notre Dame, I think would be uh, would be my leading consideration, though. We haven't had, as of yet, in the fairly brief history of the Richter Award, we haven't had, uh, as of yet, any repeat winners. But Morris definitely could be a, a repeat winner. He was only a sophomore last year and was, I think, the biggest reason why Notre Dame was as close as they got to their program's first ever national championship. As close as they've ever gotten within one goal of the national championship and I still will argue he was the best goaltender in that tournament and he should have been the tournament's all all team goaltender. I I think that's a that's a fair note to end on. We're looking forward to next season, of course, but there's still a fair amount of off season to go and we'll be back for for a couple of more off season specials throughout to keep you up to date and we'll parse out when Boston university hires a new coach. We'll talk about that and what it means for them and what, what it means for what again should be a really deep hockey East next year. And where BU stands in this new landscape that is not the world Jack Parker used to dominate. So that'll come up soon at some point, but as we start to wrap up, Chris, you covered, like I mentioned, about as much playoff hockey as anybody in the country between college and the pros. You you went from the Bean Pot to the Hockey East Tournament to two different regionals of the NCAA Tournament, the Frozen Four, and a couple of rounds of the NHL playoffs. So any any just stray thoughts on playoff hockey season you'd like to share with the audience? It's the best postseason by any metric, I think. It's the most entertaining. It's the most complete. It's not a uh, it's not a crapshoot in the way that the football playoffs are, where you get one shot at it, and if you don't capitalize on that one shot, then uh, well, in college hockey, it is for. Uh, for many rounds of it for the NCAAs, and uh, but you get multiple games out of it for the NHL. You get uh, you get a full series, so it it's the best season. It's the best postseason sport, and it's a glorious thing. And I'm unbelievably happy to have been a part of it this past year for both Boston and going to DC, which 
that's the highlight of my of my year to this point, going and covering the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals in DC and being in press scrums with a bunch of different players from the Lightning and with Alex Ovechkin, which was awesome. Yeah, it 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 feels the NHL playoffs feel in a lot of ways like this is Ovechkin's moment that. You you look at the great athletes in every sport that ended up not winning a title, and there was always that one year where it was like, that's the closest they came, but this other thing happened. And this seems like that's going to be Ovechkin's story. This is the closest he's going to come, so this might be the time he breaks through. And that has happened before in other sports. I think of Reggie White, who got to the end of his career and finally won one, or John Elway, who didn't get one until the end when he got two. Um, I, I think that might be it for Ovechkin, watching that team come through. They really felt like a team of destiny by that game seven, which was just, I, I think this is, a, uh, college hockey fans know this feeling. We've all been in buildings where you realize your team's lost the game before the game's over and the air leaves the building. I felt that happen in, in a pro arena, and it was Alex Ovechkin that took the air out of it. So I think this is really his year. This is his chance. His, you know, this is the best team he's going to get. And I, my takeaway from covering that set of playoffs is I've never learned as much about what hockey coaches really do and the impact they can have on a single game or a series than watching this hockey playoffs and especially watching both the Eastern Comp- Conference semifinal where it was Tampa Bay and Boston, and it seemed like it was a coaching clinic by John Cooper. And then there's the Eastern Conference final, and Barry Trotz did an equal job, if not an even better one than that, by just he had every, his team prepared for everything. So if you want to know what hockey coaches do, watch the NHL playoffs it would be would be my takeaway from that. But what a playoff hockey season it's been. And best of luck to anyone who roots for either of the teams left in the Stanley Cup finals. This has been another episode of Puck University for Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com and SportsTalkFlorida.com. I'm Tim Williams. Everyone keep your head up and your heads clean. Mm-hmm.